So imagine with me, you're in a discussion with someone, not quite like this, but uh, you, it uh, doesn't matter what the discussion is, you have that conversation, you're talking, and, and after that individual you're talking with listens to your res- uh, perspective, uh, they respond to you with, grow up, stop acting like a baby. All right, whatever it was that you were talking with, yeah, that individual, you, you must have been a little emotional about something. Grow up. Stop acting like a baby. What would your response be in a conversation to somebody saying to you, grow up, stop acting like a baby? You know, you might wonder, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? I, I you know, I'm not acting, I'm just sharing, whatever it might have been. But uh, that kind of a statement is exactly what Paul shared with the Corinthian church at the beginning of chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. He shares two analogies uh, as he continues to deal with the subject of unity and basically begins chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians with grow up, stop acting like babies. And we're going to look at that this morning, but Paul addresses them a little more tactful than that statement may come across to you. Um, he, he starts out by saying brothers and sisters, so he's like, hey, I know we're in this together, uh, but he is without a doubt, and we will see that here this morning, without a doubt, clear and firm in his teaching about overcoming disunity. And that's where we've been in our study of 1 Corinthians. So please open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at the first nine verses this morning of Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at those nine verses. And here's what I want you to understand as you're turning. I want you to see to two responses necessary to overcome disunity. Paul gives us two analogies, two pictures, two illustrations of how we can learn to respond so as to promote unity or in the negative side to overcome disunity. And that's what we want to talk about, the two responses necessary to overcome disunity. And the first one there, the Corinthians must first, as we look at the first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first four verses, he says, grow up, stop acting like babies. Now you may go, huh? Where is that in there? Well, hold on and and follow with me as I read through these first four verses of uh, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. Paul says, brothers and sisters... I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ, babies in Christ. He says, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as babies in Christ. Now stay with me. I gave you milk, verse 2, not solid food, for you were not ready yet for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. What? For meat or for solid food. You are still worldly, verse 3. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? 
Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Now, Paul hasn't talked about this party spirit, this business of following certain teachers or leaders as he shared back in the beginning of chapter 1 when he said, hey, I hear there's quarreling among you. Some of you are saying, I'm following Paul and others. I'm following Apollos and others. I'm following Peter and still others. Well, we're following Christ, right? And, and he hasn't talked about that in the last two chapters since he first brought it up. Now we get into chapter 3 and Paul surfaces this whole thing again. So what's this business? Who's acting like a baby? Who's he talking to? Mere infants in Christ. Babies in Christ. Who's he referring to? Well, there are four different kinds of people that we can find here in these first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The first is the natural man. Now, we introduced the natural man to you last week a little bit as we were talking at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul was talking and he said, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. The person without the Spirit is the natural man. We're talking about an unbeliever, talking about somebody who is not saved, talking about somebody who is therefore without God. And Paul says, I couldn't talk to you or dress you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants. But as he moves on down, he says, you're now acting like mere human beings. He's talking about the unsaved people, the natural man. So we find that in our text as we look at the end of verse 4 and in verse 3. I'll get to that again in just a minute. So the natural man, the one without God, the spiritual man, who is a believer, all right? Who is a believer? A person who knows Jesus Christ. Right here, verse 1, chapter 3. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, who are still babies in Christ. Now, we'll see why he couldn't address them that way, but, but these people, as he's talking, are spiritual people. Who are spiritual people? Well, again, go back to the end of chapter 2, verse 15. Paul says, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is, subject to, uh, is not subject to merely human judgments, who has known the mind of the Lord, so is instruct him. We have the mind of Christ. Who? Those of us who have the Spirit. Those who are called the spiritual man. In other words, those who are believers. Those who know and follow Jesus Christ. All right? Those with the Spirit. Now understand, when Paul says in verse 1, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. He's not saying, I couldn't address you as spiritually advanced believers. That's not what he's saying. Paul is not 
here in when he talks about people who live by the Spirit, he's not talking about a real mature Christian. He's just talking about believers who we'll see in a minute, yes, would be mature people, but we'll, we'll get to that. So there is not a, a, a difference here that he's sharing. It says, I'm not talking to you as people who uh, really are advanced in your Christian faith. That's not what he's saying. He's just talking to believers, those who live by the Spirit. We'll see why he couldn't just re- refer to them at that point. Then thirdly, baby believers. Now here it is. He says, I couldn't talk to you as just those with the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants, mere babies in Christ. Now, why is he talking? Who are these people? He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. For not, you're not ready for solid food. I would guess everybody here has seen a baby drink milk, Right? In fact, you've seen a baby who that's all they could have. Why? Because they weren't old enough. They weren't mature enough. They they weren't at the point where they could handle solid food. Or some translations would say meat. So they only had milk. And Paul is talking to these baby Christians, infants in Christ, immature individuals immature not because they've remained that way over a long period of time but because they just came into a relationship with Jesus Christ and the word that's used there is a word that means fleshy it means made by flesh it doesn't mean uh worldly as some of the translations may say in the negative sense that we would Use. Now, many times we, we use that term worldly of a believer who's not yet quite living or who's known Jesus for a while, but isn't walking with him, isn't walking by the Spirit. And so we say they're worldly, they're caught up in the things of this world. They're more concerned about the things of this world than they are about the things of Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But the baby Christian is a person who has just come to Christ, an infant believer, and who, because they've just come to Christ, it's okay that they're babies. It's okay that they're immature, right? We don't have a problem with with a two-year-old drinking milk from a bottle. That's, That's not a problem. We would have a problem. If a 22-year-old was still drinking milk from a bottle, we'd go, what in the world is going on? This is a problem. And, and that, that can't be, something is wrong here, right? But what we're talking about is the 2-year-old. Now, the problem with spiritual maturity, it doesn't always have to do with how long you're saved. And as we'll see here in just a minute... There are some people that are still acting like baby Christians who have been saved for a significant amount of time. Those are the ones Paul is addressing here. He says, I couldn't talk to you as those who were saved because you're acting like very un-Christian, unsaved believers. Those who are baby Christians. And that leads us 
to the fourth kind of a person. We've got the natural man. We've got the spiritual man. We've got the baby believer, right? And now we have the carnal believer. Look at verse 3 again. You are still worldly. Or the end of verse 2 when Paul says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. That's okay. They were baby Christians. Indeed, you are still not ready for meat or solid food. Paul's saying the implication is there, you should be. He says, I couldn't earlier feed you meat, solid food. Why? Because you were a baby Christian. You weren't ready for it. He says, and you're still not. Indeed, you're still not. And the idea is, by now you should be. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the carnal believer. That would be the fleshly believer. Back up in verse 1, you don't see it in the English translation, but the idea as we read through the English translation, you understand Paul's talking to them as baby Christians. There was a time as baby Christians when it was okay to be a baby Christian. Just like it's okay for a one-year-old or a two-year-old or a three-year-old to act like a baby. Why? Because they're babies. Sometimes I say to Josie when she is crying, or I stop acting like a baby. Now that's a joke, right? She, I don't know if she even understands me. But it's okay. Why? Because she's two. If we say stop acting like a baby to a 22-year-old or a 32-year-old or 42-year-old, spiritually speaking, we got a problem. Because that's a carnal Christian. That's an individual who isn't just fleshy. They're not just made by flesh. They are characterized by the flesh. Two different words here. Chapter or verse 1, it is referring to a baby Christian. In verse 3, it is referring to a Christian who has been saved long enough that they still shouldn't be treated as a baby Christian. They're fleshly. They're characterized by worldliness. They're characterized by the desire for the flesh. What does that look like? Well, Paul goes on. And he says in verse 3, You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Are you not acting like the natural man? Are you not acting like the individual who doesn't know Jesus Christ? Who doesn't have the Spirit of God within them? You shouldn't be. But how do we know? Because jealousy and quarreling are there. That's what he says. Now, do you remember back in chapter 1 when Paul introduced this whole concept of disunity, of division, of quarreling? There it is. Quarreling and strife existed back in chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11 when he talks to those believers about that. He says, you're quarreling with one another. You're jealous. That's what he says here. 
that is characteristic of an individual who is a carnal believer, a carnal Christian, one who has been saved long enough to know better. And he says, you're jealous. You're acting with jealousy. The idea is with greed or prideful longing for something that belongs to another and doing it with a zeal, doing it with a, a fierceness that would lead to envy. It's about self, and that's the idea of quarreling, bitter conflict, self-assertion, unhealthy rivalries, putting themselves ahead of everybody else. That's what's involved. The opposite of being considerate of one another. That's the idea of quarreling. We're thinking about ourselves, not about others. We're asserting ourselves because we want what we want. We want what we think we want. What we think is best. What I want. And that's what Paul is saying. That will lead to disunity. Indeed, you're still not ready for solid food. You're still not in a place where you ought to be acting like a mature Christian. Listen, a, a clear sign of spiritual immaturity is a lack of unity. Without question, a clear sign of spiritual immaturity is a lack of unity. We could say a clear sign of a willful lack of growth is spiritual immaturity. When a person who knows Jesus chooses not to grow spiritually, it's, it, it's without question an indication something is wrong somewhere. Let's go back to our two-year-old. If that two-year-old only still weighed what they weighed when they were born, there'd be a problem, right? We'd be concerned. We wouldn't wait till they're two. We'd have been, we'd have, we'd been, been to the doctor, a specialist or something, to say something's wrong. Our newborn baby isn't growing. They're two years old and they haven't gained a pound yet. Something is wrong. But see, that's the same indication, spiritually speaking, what, and, and we don't know the time factor. There's not a timeline listed for spiritual growth, but we know that when an individual comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and as they begin to grow, as they begin to understand the truths of the Word of God, as they begin to understand that it's not about me, when they begin to move beyond selfishness and quarreling, Right? We see little kids all the time, two and three and four-year-olds. Put them in a room with no adults and a bunch of toys. And what will happen? They'll all want the same toy, right? Why? Because that's just the immature level. I want mine, mine, me, me, I, right? Well, if believers those who have come to know Jesus Christ, those who now are with the Spirit, have not been growing and remain immature, the ones that cannot have solid food, that's a problem. 
So when we talk about a carnal believer, one who is promoting self, one who wants what they want, one who is quarreling, one who is involved in bitter conflict and envy, one who is always asserting themselves over others, one who is not considerate. We know there's going to be disunity and there's clear indication of a lack of spiritual growth and maturity. That's why we say the first analogy that Paul presents is grow up. Grow up. As a believer, if we're going to overcome disunity, we must grow up. We must become more like Jesus. When spiritual people, followers of Jesus, are fighting and quarreling and dividing, not growing, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Acting like mere human beings is what Paul says there at the end of verse 3 when he says, you're still worldly, jealousy quarreling among you, Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? He's saying, aren't you acting like all the other people around you who don't know Jesus, just normal, ordinary men, human beings? That's a problem. That's Paul's concern. He says, you've got to grow up. You've got to act like people with Jesus or you will create division and disunity. Look at this warning that Paul gives in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Paul shares this. Titus is uh, involved in, in working at a new church, planning a church, establishing elders and a, and a, and a church governance in, in that church. And And in chapter 3, Paul says this, Titus chapter 3, verse 10. He says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Did you get that? Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. How does that grab you? I don't think we like that too much, do we? That's a hard thing to do. But that's what God says. It really doesn't matter what we think about it. It doesn't matter if we like it or not. It doesn't matter if it's a hard thing to do. That's what the Bible says. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Wow. That's how serious God is about maintaining unity in the church. It's critical. Division, quarreling, 
disagreement is a major problem in the church that Paul is addressing there in, in the church at Corinth. And any time it exists in any church, warn them once, warn them twice, and then have nothing to do with them. And then he says this in verse 11. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Self-condemned. They've condemned themselves. There's no question about their guilt. That's what Paul says. That's what he's telling Timothy about his ministry as an elder or as one of the leaders there in the church. He says, you can know that these are sinful people. They've condemned themselves Stay away from them. God takes disunity. God takes division. God takes quarreling. God takes disagreement. I'm not just saying disagreement. We're not talking about, well, um, I don't like the color of the carpet. Not that kind of disagreement. No, we're talking about disagreement on the things of God. Starting with the message of the cross of Christ, starting with the servants who are messengers of the cross of Christ because the leaders who are sharing the gospel, that's where the, the division started. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. Division. God hates it. And that leads us to the second illustration, the second analogy. In verse 5, First time he says, grow up, stop acting like babies. Now he says, look up, start thinking like farmers. You're going, wait a minute, what? Look up, stop thinking, or start thinking like farmers. Now, Jane grew up in Iowa. She grew up on a farm. Her dad was a welder and blacksmith, but she lived on a farm, about 160 acres of corn and beans. And uh, she understood what it was. She would walk the fields and, and detassel corn and pull weeds from the beans and all that kind of stuff. She knew what it was like. And, and this illustration of farming is what Paul goes to. Look at verse 5, 1 Corinthians 3. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. Now remember, Paul's talking to the believers in the church at Corinth. And he says, who is or what is Apollos and what is Paul? We ought to think, don't you think it should be who is? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But it's not, the language is what? Why? Because Paul is trying to illustrate to the people that it's not about the individual. It doesn't matter about the individual. It matters their function. It matters what they do. They're only servants through whom you came to believe. What did that function produce? Well, somebody told you about the gospel. Somebody told me about the gospel. Somebody told the believers in the church at Corinth... They gave them the gospel through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. Look at verse 6. Paul says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God 
has been making it grow. Now, here's our farming analogy. I planted the seed. Listen, Paul planted the church in Corinth, right? He began that church. We saw that a number of weeks ago. We looked at Acts chapter 18 and how Paul went to Corinth and how he began to preach the gospel. Started where? Hello? Where did Paul start? Where's the first place he went in Corinth? To share the gospel. Synagogue. Synagogue, yeah. He went to the Jews, right? And then after that, he went to the Gentiles. But Paul planted the seeds of the gospel. He planted the church there. And then when he left and went to Ephesus, Apollos came. And Apollos watered that seed. Apollos continued to teach the truth of the gospel. And you could look at the end of Acts chapter 18. We didn't get there because it was just at the beginning, the first 10 or 11 verses where Paul started the church there and then told him, Paul, I've got people in this city, don't leave. And Paul stayed for about 18 months. After he was done for that year and a half, he left and went to Ephesus. And Apollos came from Ephesus to Corinth and began to teach the people. And if you look at the end of Acts chapter 18, look, write it down and look on your own. You'll see how he taught the people, how he discipled the people. He watered the seed. But then what does Paul say? But it was God who has been making it grow. God has been making it grow. He's saying, you know what? The servants are only as important as they plant the seed in the water, but without God, you won't have growth. I remember for the number of years I went to school out in Iowa, and we lived, we pastored in Iowa for a while. Jane, of course, as I said, grew up and lived in Iowa there. And there would be times when every spring the farmers would get the crops out. It always seemed backwards to me. I, I would say they'd get them in. But no, they'd get them out. And uh, that meant they got the seed planted and all ready to go. And, and so they'd do it. They'd get that seed down. They'd put down the fertilizer. And they'd, they'd hope that it would rain or try to figure out some kind of a sprinkler system. Get the water. They'd cultivate. They'd keep the weeds away. There were times when they'd do that. And guess what? They would not get a crop. It just happened. Why? God makes it grow. He goes on, verse 7. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Now why is Paul saying this? Why is Paul using this picture of a farmer? Because he's trying to help the people that are following their specific leaders and developing a party spirit amongst the various leaders within the church that's creating disunity. He's trying to say, listen, all those leaders, all those teachers, they don't mean anything. They're just servants. God makes things grow. You see, as I'm sitting here this morning sharing with you the truth of the Word of God, and as you respond to it, I can't make you grow. I can plant the seed. I can water the seed. Pastor Paul can plant seed. 
he can water the seed. Sheon can plant seed and water the seed. Scott can plant seed. All of you can plant. But Paul's talking about the leaders, the teachers in the church. But bottom line, none of us can change the heart. We can't make you grow. Guess who does that? God. God. That's the point. It's not the people. It's not the teachers. It's not the leaders. It's not the apostles. It's not Paul. It's not Apollos. It's not Peter. Only God makes it grow. And then look at verse 8. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. There's one purpose. You see, it's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Peter. There's one purpose for the church, that they hear the gospel and they respond, that they grow and then they tell others that they follow the mission that Jesus had given them back after he rose from the dead. One purpose, more people, more like Jesus, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Now, we're going to look at the rewards next week. Well, not next week, the week after. Next week, folks, we've got baptism and communion. We're going to be baptizing three individuals. You don't want to miss that. And then we're going to celebrating the Lord's Supper together. But so the week after, we're going to talk about the rewards. But I want you to see here, Paul says the rewards are according to your labor, not according to your success. We typically judge on results. We judge on success. We think if there's results and success, that's great. Must be, must be better. Must be more faithful. No, all God says, he says, they will be rewarded according to their labor. Why? Not the results. Why? Not the success. Why? Because God gives the increase. Because God makes it grow. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's saying. And then he goes on to verse 9, and he says this. He says, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Paul is saying, Apollos and I work together for God. We are his servants. We're involved in his service. You could maybe read that, that Paul, Apollos, and God are co-workers. No, I don't think that's the, the way it reads. And in fact, that's not even the emphasis of the text. The emphasis of the text is on the workers, the servants, the laborers, and it is God who gives the growth. And that's why Paul says there, he says we're co-workers. We're God's co-workers. We're God's servants in God's field. In You are God's field. He's calling in the church. You are God's building, and we'll see that when we look at the next number of verses about the building and about the rewards that come as we labor and serve him. But there it is, planting the seed. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. See, the farmers are nothing. They just put the seed out there. They just cultivate the soil. They water it. Simply servants that God 
uses with one purpose to bring about a crop that God makes happen. It's amazing when you look at those verses there because we see what the teachers, the leaders of the church at Corinth were only servants as the Lord assigned them a task. God makes it grow. Circle these every time you see that in those verses. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. But God makes it grow in verse six. But God makes it grow, verse seven. God will reward, verse eight. And then in God's service, God's field, God's building. It's all about God. It's not about the teachers and leaders. And that's why Our response needs to be, so look up. So look up. Look up to God. We look to him because it is God that makes things grow. We, get, we, we, can't, get, we can't get involved in division and arguing and disunity when we're looking up to God. When our focus is on God, we're not going to be quarreling with one another. We're not going to be disagreeing with one another. We're not going to be dividing over things that don't matter, over who's doing the teaching or who's doing the baptizing or who's doing this. We won't struggle with unity when we're looking up at God. So what? So what do we do to overcome disunity? What is our response to what Paul says? Well, I would say to you this morning that we need to find our unity as a church when we look up to God. Recognize that it's his church. Recognize looking up. Remember what Paul said in chapter 1? It is the message of the cross. Chapter 2, I refuse to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Looking up. You see, Paul continues on. It's the same argument. Looking up because God makes it grow. We look to the cross, the message of the cross, because it's all about him. And the one who makes us grow up is God. You see, if you've been saved for any number of years and you're still a baby Christian, something's wrong. If you're still characterized by the flesh, if, you're, if you still can only handle the milk of the word, something's wrong. There, there's a problem. You're not growing. You're not becoming more like Jesus. And we need to grow up. It's not the teachers, it's not the leaders, it's not the pastors, it's God. And our primary loyalty must be to God, not to people. Remember in verse 31, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 31. If you just look back a, a couple of, of chapters here, we, we're in chapter 3, but if you look back to the end of, verse, uh, of chapter 1, Paul says this, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
Look up. Boast in the Lord. How do we do that? Well, we talk about Him. Every chance we get, we brag about Him. It's important that we, we show excitement when, when we are in love with God. We can't help but share Him with others. It's like what Jerry was talking about. You, you just have the sense this individual needs what I know. He needs Jesus. And I can tell him about Jesus. When we're boasting in the Lord, we, we tell everyone how amazing God is, how remarkable He is, how incredible He is, how awesome He is, how mind-blowing, how mind-boggling, how life-transforming God is. We look up, and when we're looking up, we will grow up, because we'll come to see only Jesus and Him crucified. We won't get caught up in all the other stuff that takes away our attention from the cross. In my study, I came across this statement, and with this I'll close. Spiritual maturity is most clearly seen not in what we know, but in how we treat each other. Just because we know truth doesn't mean we live that truth. Not in what we know, you got to know it. But there's a lot of spiritually immature people who know a lot of stuff, who know a lot of Bible truth. But it's shown in how we treat each other. That's why Jesus said, when asked, what's the first and great commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? Strength. And they said, the second is like it, except it's love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what? We can't love our neighbor unless we're loving God. But when we love God, when His greatness, when we've looked up to Him and seen His amazing grace and His unconditional love, we can't help but love one another. That's what happens. And so spiritual maturity is most clearly, most clearly seen. Not in what we know but in how we treat each other. The believers in the church at Corinth weren't acting spiritually mature because they weren't treating one another with love, with consideration, with grace. They were acting jealous. They were quarreling. They were envying. They were bitter conflict. That was a lack of love for God and a lack of love for each other. That's how we grow up. We treat one another with the love that God has shown to us. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to show the love of God that's in our hearts. 
to act as the spiritual people that we are. To recognize that we're <clears throat> already declared holy. But we're called now to live holy lives. And God, that means standing together as we look up at the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, don't let us as believers be satisfied with a lack of growth. Help us to look up. practice the truths of the word of God that we've been taught to live holy lives that show the presence of the spirit of God in our lives for it's in Christ's name I pray amen